Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this word because it is good and it is right and it is the best. And so, Lord, would you open up what is said in these scriptures to us tonight and we will give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this last summer, my wife and I, we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. And uh, we flew down to Southern California, rented a car, and started driving up along the coast to visit some of the beaches that the two of us had loved uh, when we were growing up. Uh, one night, we went to a restaurant in Newport Beach. There was this big crowd of people outside, looked like a good place to go. So uh, as we were walking up to the entrance through the parking lot, there was this bunch of people, kind of a pile of people that came out of the entrance, you know, and they, they looked like they were either college age or a little bit older, and uh, they'd obviously been experiencing happy hour a little bit, you know, and so, uh, if you know what I mean, so they're pretty loud, they're having a good time, and my wife and I thought, this looks like a good place to go, so uh, we walked in, and we were met by the receptionist, uh, who gave us this really puzzled look on his face. And then he said what his face was saying. And he said, you guys really don't want to come in here, do you? I mean, like, there are other fine places in the town for you to go. I mean, no kidding. He said that. And he may as well have said what he meant. Because I think what he meant was, you are too old and too boring for a place like this. You shouldn't be here. I, I've never had that happen to me before. <laughs> I guess I better get used to it, huh? <laughs> Yet, you know, you don't belong here. We, we, we hear that, and maybe we've heard that a million ways, and uh, a million times in a million different ways. You're not good enough. You don't measure up. You don't have what it takes. This place is not for you. And maybe tonight you're carrying some of that message with you, with the history that is yours, with the things that you have done or haven't done with the ways that you have let other people down. The message of a performance-driven culture is that God's evaluation of us is somewhere between mildly displeased and really displeased. And the distance we feel from God, well, that's our fault. And that if everyone really knew us and knew the life that we have lived, then they wouldn't welcome us here because we would look more like spiritual posers than we would look like true followers of Jesus. So we keep all that stuff locked up inside of us and we don't share that with anybody else and let them know what's going on. Now the passage tonight we, uh, that Rosalind read is from uh, John chapter 13 and here Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And Jesus does this really odd thing. He washes uh, people's feet, which it was kind of this, it's this odd uh, sort of ritual to us, but it was really a matter of health back then because people walked around with bare feet. Some of you know this, or with sandals and they get kind of dirty feet, smelly feet. Uh, and when they ate, they didn't sit in chairs or at tables, they reclined while they ate. And everything happened at the same level as where the feet were at. So you get the picture, right? So uh, that was the job of the servant to, to wash sort of the guest's feet, right? And uh, Jesus, in this passage, assumes the role of a servant, wraps a towel around him, and one by one washes the disciples' feet. It represented the unconditional love that Jesus 
had, his love for his disciples. And it pointed to the one ultimate act of, uh, that he was about to offer, uh, uh, giving his life on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, if you and I were to judge uh, using the same standards of measure, you know, that where we evaluate ourselves spiritually, if we were to judge the guys in the room, we would determine that none of them belonged there. Not one of them should have been in that room. Thomas, for example, had more doubts than he did faith. And he struggled to really believe that Jesus was who he said he was, even after the resurrection. And then there was James and John, who just a couple of days, few days before this meal, uh, they had had this secret meeting with Jesus, you know, to sort of see if they could uh, get, uh, receive the, the two positions of power and authority in Jesus' organization, and that they would be over the rest of the disciples. And then there was Peter, who would flat-out lie about knowing Jesus uh, and deny that it was even one of his followers. And then, of course, there's Judas, who hours later would betray Jesus and escort the Roman army to arrest him. Talk about a group who shouldn't have been there. And this is Jesus' last night on earth, and this is what he has to work with? What a mess. But even though he knew everything about them, all their faults, all their weaknesses, all their character flaws, Jesus washed their feet anyway because the unconditional love of our Heavenly Father accepts us just the way we are. In a world where performance matters of spiritual and professional perfectionism, unconditional love doesn't make much sense, does it? Because it's only the best performers who get rewarded for better jobs, you know, with better jobs, bigger salaries, more benefits. No one gets that stuff for messing up or making mistakes, do they? And I guess that's why God would make a terrible CEO. Because he only recruits the underperformers, the underachievers, the ones who can't be counted on, promise to change, but can't seem to pull it together. People who aren't what they should be, and they know it. We are, all of us, broken. And yet, and yet, God loves us without condition, just as we are, knowing everything we are. No other God does that. Every other religion shows zero tolerance for sinners, moral slip-ups and imperfection. They're signs of failure for everyone. But Jesus came for those who know that they need someone to rescue them from, their, uh, from themselves, from their mistakes and the ongoing battle they have with lust and ego and pride and, and uh, bitterness and envy, jealousy. In Jesus, God's grace arm-wrestled just justice and won ultimately proving that our Heavenly Father uh, and His unconditional love will always prevail. And there are no limits to His unconditional love. There are no conditions to His uh, unconditional love. No qualifiers or disqualified. God loves you. And there is nothing that is going to stop Him from loving you. His unconditional love is limitless, and it is a love that you simply cannot mess up or chase away. You can't. 
When my kids were young, uh, we used to play this game. I, I used to play this game with them. It was another one of those bedtime games. And it was actually more quiz than it was game. Uh, it usually happened after we'd read the story about two or three times and just before prayer time. And so we'd go, uh, it'd go a little bit like this. I'd ask, who loves you? Daddy loves you. How much? So much. For how long? Forever and ever. And then the punchline. That's right, and there is nothing that you will ever do that will make me stop loving you. And as they got older, they messed up sometimes, and we'd have to deal with that as a family, and then when the timing was right, we'd review the quiz. Who loves you? Daddy loves you. How much? So much. For how long? Forever and ever. I think that is the stuff that builds security and confidence into the hearts and to the lives of our kids. To know that they are loved and that they are lovable even during the times when they mess up. And I get more out of those times than they do. It's times like that which give me life because I never am closer to my kids than when I'm loving them. Now, looking at the passage again, the disciples, they're all laying there with all clean feet and everything. Maybe they're kind of checking them out, you know, kind of showing them off to one another. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, so they're all washed up, and the meal is served, and the meal is this uh, that they're, uh, engage, they're, they're practicing. It's the Passover meal, which reminded the Jews of the time when God delivered, he rescued Israel out of slavery from Egypt. And thanks, thanks was being given, prayers were made, bread was broken. And John's gospel, he skips over it. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, well, they tell us that Jesus reinterprets this meal, that the bread, Jesus says, that the bread that they were eating, well, that was like his body that was broken for them. And the cup that they were drinking from, the wine, well, that was his blood that guaranteed the forgiveness of our sins. Crucifixion replaces Passover on this night, God's plan for rescue. And it all caught the disciples by surprise. And then Jesus says this thing at the centerpiece of the passage. He says, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you love one another. It's part of the truth about us about how we were made, is that we were made to love. Giving love, receiving love. It's all part of our original design. It's in our DNA. It's how we are hardwired. It's what makes us look more human, uh, most human, like women and men who are really made in the image of God. But here's the thing, and, and please don't miss this. I, I've said so far, I, I'm saying that God's unconditional love accepts us just as we are. But the other piece that I'm saying, and, and don't miss this, is that we will never get closer to God or to other people than when we are loving. We'll never get closer. And that makes sense, right? Because if God loves us so unconditionally, then we'll be more connected to, to him, especially when we're doing the same thing as him. Intimacy with God, connecting other, with other people, it's not about doing the right things or doing a bunch of other stuff so that we can undo all the bad stuff we've done. It's about love, about loving God and worship. As we're worshiping here tonight, it's about loving God in the midst of that. It's about loving God in prayer. 
It's about loving God for who he is and what he's up to in Scripture. Loving someone who's down and out by just listening to them. Loving someone who's lonely by hanging out with them. We are never closer to God or to other people than when we are loving them. Now, Philip Yancey tells this story of a young woman accompanied by her fiancé who went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston to order the, me to order, uh, the meal for their wedding reception. And they both had this expensive taste, and so the total bill for this meal they were going to serve was $13,000. So the woman left a check for half that amount, and they went home. Well, the day the announcements were supposed to go out in the mail, her fiancé had an announcement for her that he didn't want to be married anymore. Well, obviously, she was hurt, she was angry, and she went back to the Hyatt to see if she could cancel the banquet and get her money back. But they told her that they could only refund $1,300 of her original deposit. Her other option was to go ahead with the banquet. Well, the more she thought about it, though, the more she liked that idea of throwing a party, just having a big blowout. Because 10 years earlier, she'd been homeless. She'd lived in a homeless shelter. And since that time, she'd been able to get her life together and uh, got a good job, made a lot of money, had a, had a significant bank account. And the idea of using her savings to treat the down-and-out population in Boston, well, that really excited her. So, in June 1990, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party for bag ladies and vagrants, addicts, and prostitutes. They served boneless chicken in honor of the groom. I like that part. <laughs> and for one night, one night, people who lived in rescue missions and homeless shelters, who lived in back alleys behind garbage cans, well, they took the night off. And they got to drink champagne, sip champagne, eat chocolate cake, and dance the night away to the tunes of the big band that played. Pretty cool, huh? Throwing a huge banquet instead of taking the $1,300 refund, it showed the street population in Boston the unconditional love of our Heavenly Father. No qualifications, no one disqualified. No one had to earn anything to get a ticket to the banquet that night. And it helped this woman get healed from a boneless fiance, and it brought her close relationships to the people who showed up that night. So where in your life do you need the unconditional love and acceptance of your Heavenly Father? And who might God be asking you to love in that same way? You know, there's this ironic end to the passage that we read. Jesus tells his disciples that he's going away, and this time none of them would be able to follow him. Peter asks why, and then he swears his allegiance. He's ready to die for Jesus. You know, I swear. But it's not Peter who ends up giving his life away for, to, uh, to save Jesus. Peter sort of weaseled out of that situation. But it ends up being Jesus who gives his life away to save Peter, to save you, and to save me. God's unconditional love cost him. 
because there is a price to pay for moral and spiritual failure. And all of our short-lived attempts at fixing ourselves, they're just not enough. Only Jesus can pay the price in full. So he took all of our sins. He took all of our mistakes. He took everything we have done to deserve God's rejection. God, Jesus took it all upon himself, and he paid the price in full for us. He got the worst that this world has to offer. Hatred, betrayal, an illegal trial, an unjust sentence. He was whipped, beat, soaked with spit, and hung on a cross for all to see. And he used it all for the one and only solution that would rescue us from our brokenness. God does the loving thing all the time, even when the loving thing cost him everything. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me, underneath me, all around me is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. So, Lord Jesus, we pray on this night when you showed uh, the full extent of your love, that you would lead us into a deeper experience of your unconditional love and acceptance. Set us free to be the people you have designed us to be, to love unconditionally those that you place in our midst. And we will give you the praise.